Well, good morning. Um, my name's Zach. I'm the campus pastor here. And unlike Dusty, who did the announcements, uh, I was not at the game. And this is just my regular voice. Okay, so that's just, you just got to be used to that, okay? Um, if you would, I'd love for you to find Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 in one of the Bibles out there. Um, and while you're turning there, I want to tell you some fun news for my wife and I. We are pregnant with our, so we're excited about that. And uh, we've got, um, we have Audrey, who is a little bit over three Okay, we have, we lost one in, in a miscarriage right between there. And then we have Miles, who's a little bit over one. And that's kind of A&M. Didn't plan it that way. Just kind of the way it happened. Literally, didn't plan it that way. It just happened that way. And then we've got Helen Claire, who is due in March. So we're excited about that. And you can imagine what it's like having two little kids. Some of you are out there like, wait till you have the third one, because we're there, or you got more. Looking at the Morgans over there. Okay, and you go, you know, that, but it's hard, it's, it's difficult, and you know, marriage in and of itself has its ups and downs, you had kids in the mix, and the ups and downs can be even some more severe, and, and for us, and just to be honest with you, um, our downs have been probably more consistent over the last several months, we've, we've had more seasons of down than up, and just even two weeks ago, my wife and I, you know, we got into a pretty good blow up, um, friction, conflict, and, and we're just... We've been going through this, and we just keep, we try to reset, and it just keeps happening. And, um, but I'll tell you something. So that night was probably one of the bigger blow-ups we've had in quite some time, and we found something, okay? There was something that we did that brought more connectivity, more patience, more understanding back to us than anything we've experienced along. You know what we did? We pulled out our computers, and we synced our calendars. They don't tell you that in marriage counseling. I'm convinced now. There is a sixth love language. Okay? You know there's five? You know those gifts of service? No. Being on the same page is a love language. And she felt so loved and so unbelievable. that So we synced our calendars, you know. So now I come to work and I've got my calendar and I've got all of my stuff in green. You know, like the green highlight. And then she's added stuff on there in the family calendar that's yellow. And it's fun because I'm looking at this calendar now and I'm seeing these things that she's got on the calendar. And I'm like, she's got all these anniversaries on there. And they're really fun, special moments. And, and I'm, we're sitting. So eight years ago, like this like time period, within a three-week period, we went on our first date and I did some very cheesy, wonderful, win-her-heart things. And they're all on this calendar. I want to show you. So I want to share some of these with you really quick, okay? So... We went on a date on September 18th. In the first service, my wife was sitting there, and I looked to make sure it was the right date because my wife was sitting right there. You know, that, that, you got to know those dates, guys. So on September 18th, we go on our first date. We go to a little Italian restaurant, three hours. We're staring at each other. I'm looking at her across candlelight, beautiful smile, winsome personality. And, I, and then that was describing me. And then, no, I'm joking. No, I'm a fool. I'm looking at her and I'm going, oh my gosh, this, this woman is amazing. Like, she's way above my league. Can I, I wonder if at all I could get another date with her. So, you know, this is wonderful and fun. And so I drop her off and I go, hey, you know, I'd, I'd love to do this again. And she gave me a smile and, you know, maybe. And that's like, that's, that's, that, I'm in. Okay. So what happens 
is she was a school teacher at the time. She's a tenth grade, I mean, ninth grade English teacher. So she is working her tail off. She is an excellent teacher. So she gives lots of time. She's grading papers. Literally would fall asleep grading at like midnight and then get up at three and keep grading. And she'd do that over and over and over. So getting a date was not easy. So I'm like, I've got my foot in the door. I've got to do some other things to show my attraction, affection, and win this girl's heart. And so, and these are on the calendar. These are anniversaries. So I made an impact, people. So here's what happened. So the first one was she sent me a text. It was the first text she sent. This was September 25th. Okay, she sent me a text a day before and said, hey, I'm at Costco and there's Christmas decorations already out. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to go buy a letter and I'm going to buy map pencils and I'm going to draw out like a Christmas tree. So that's what I did. That's my Christmas tree. I drew a Christmas tree and then I bought this card and I said, I bet you always wanted a pony. Unfortunately, I think it's actually a dog. (laughs) Zach, the guy from Starbucks, because we had met one night while she was grading. Okay, and so. I write this out, and she, rem- she this is in the calendar, okay? So I'm, I'm loving this. The next thing I did was this. This was a little bit of a stretch, but here's what I did. Let me tell you about this one. So she was working homecoming, and her watch had stopped working, so it needed a battery, okay? Now, now remember, I go to pick her up, and her roommates are in the back, you know, like, checking me out, but I don't talk to them. I, I might have said hello. No interaction with them. I don't have their phone numbers. And I'm like, how am I going to get this watch? So I go stalk her house. Now, she lives 20 miles from where I live. So I'm wasting a lot of time doing this. But I stalk her house to the point where I know her car's not there, but her roommate is. So I go knock on the door. And I'm like, hey, you may not remember me, but I went on a date with your roommate. And could you help me kind of ruffle through some of her stuff and find this watch? Her roommate's like, who are you again? So... I convince her. She helps me. I find the watch. I take it to North Park Mall. I get a watch battery put in it. I put it in a little box, and then I give her this note. It says, you may, read, you may need this so you can make sure your kids don't miss curfew after homecoming. Have an exceptional weekend. It made the calendar. Okay? I'm, making, I'm making impressions here, people. But then this is where it got a little, little different, too. Um, so this, that was September 30th. So that was basically yesterday. Now, on October 7th, 2009, three-week span, we've been on one date. I did this. Her dad was talking to her and said, I think you need to get a grill. And she shared this with me. So I thought, I'm going to have some fun with this. So I went, and I went to Lowe's. I went to Home Depot. I'm looking for a grill box. Now, I didn't buy her a grill. That might mean I want to move in. Okay, so I, I found a grill box. All right, and I bought this grill box. I got this grill box, and I put a letter inside of it. Okay, and so I took it to her place, dropped it off, and then when she came home that afternoon from school, she saw that grill box. Now her first thought was, "He bought me a grill. This is way too fast, way too forward." And her roommates were like, "No, no, no. Just go, go touch it. It's light. There's not a grill in there." And so she opened it up, and I had make because you got to use the map pencils, you know, to draw art. And so I took the. This is what I did. I I gave a letter. I hand wrote it and I put some stuff on there. And I basically said, look, I'm going to give you a coupon for an Italian hand prepared dinner. Now I'm Italian. So I was the Italian that's going to hand prepare. You got that? So I gave her this coupon and she loved it. She told me earlier, I, I never actually came through on that coupon. So I owe her a meal, but that's the way life goes, right? That's marriage. We have kids now. 
Can't do that. Um, and she put all these on her calendar. So it's been a fun trip down memory lane right now, this last week, because all of these things are right there on my calendar, reminding me of eight years ago, this time period, when our little fledgling relationship and my cheesiness mixed together to create love. It was awesome. But why does my wife put those on the calendar? Why would she do that? It's not because a watch battery in and of itself is something special. I mean, these are simple things. A box, a battery. It's because of what was behind them, what motivated them, what brought them about. It was my affection for her, my interest in her, my willingness to display it and show it. And the things I did, I did for her. Because of what was, what was in here, and it had to come out. Italian love had to come out. Okay? But you know, God, he didn't just love one person. John 3.16 tells us, for God so loved the world. And God demonstrated his love for the world. But it didn't say he just loved the world. It said he so loved the world. And as we look at this passage in Ephesians, something I want you to see is this. We're going to look at, here's a letter to the believers in Ephesus. And the last few weeks, we've been looking at the first three chapters, which are filled with these, these unbelievable truths, these beautiful demonstrations, these life-changing pronouncements of God's love toward us and for us. And what we're going to see in the next coming weeks as we move forward, um, we're going to see in chapters 4 through 6 what our lives should look like and be like in light of those truths. You're going to see in, in, in Ephesians 4.1, the very verse after what, what we're going to look at today, that Paul is going to say, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you, implore us, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. You see, tucked in here in the middle of, of, of 1 through 3, these, these truths, these unbelievable, powerful things that God has done and displayed to demonstrate his love, and then following what what Paul is going to challenge us to do and to be is this prayer. And Paul knew something. He knew something because to go from, from God's demonstration of love to us living out obedience, it was going to take more than dogged determination to do that, to get it done. He knew that it shouldn't just be on the outward. It should be from the inside. And so his prayer is something so incredibly more powerful that it would be the driving force behind not just obedience, but great obedience. Lives lived in great submission to the Lord. Lives lived in unbelievable and profound ways that, that show the world this person, this God that we believe in. He gives us some insight in 2 Corinthians 5.14 when Paul writes this word. He says, for the love of Christ controls us. It compels us. It urges us. It moves us. And if we could live out every moment like that, that would be the answer to Paul's prayer. So here's what Paul is actually praying. This is my interpretation. It says, this is what I think he's saying. He's saying this, that by God's power and presence in us and in our life, we would be able to somehow, somehow grasp the enormity of the love of Christ 
So that his love would so infiltrate us, so overwhelm us, so empower us, penetrating every nook and cranny of our being, our thoughts, our actions, our inner life, our outer life, so that we would live this life that is worthy of that love and demonstrating of that love. How many of you have ever heard of Team Hoyt? Anybody heard of that? Many years, several years ago, it was more popular. People were heard, had heard about it. But it's a story of, of a father and a son, Dick and Rick Hoyt. Dick is the dad. Rick is the son. Rick was born in 1962. Uh, his umbilical cord had been wrapped around his neck. Brain was cut off to his brain. And he was diagnosed with severe cerebral, cerebral palsy. And when, the, when he was born, the doctor said to his dad and his wife, his, his mom, forget Rick. Put him away. Put him in an institution. He's going to be nothing but a vegetable for the rest of his life. And his father, Dick, said, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to take him home and we're going to raise him like any other kid. And even when he was a little bit older, you know, they could see in his eyes, they could see in his motions that he could understand, but, but he couldn't speak. And so they got him one of those synthesizers that you can, you can type out words and, and then um, the voice would come out, kind of like I think Stephen Hawking has. And his first words, they thought might be, I love, I love you, Mom, or I love you, Dad, or thank you. But he said, go Bruins, because they were from Boston. And he was going for the Boston Bruins, hockey fan. And, and Dick realized, this kid of mine is so wonderful, so beautiful, hidden behind the brokenness of the world. And I don't know, I don't, I don't know if Dick or Rick are believers or not, okay? This is just an example, a worldly example of love. But here's what happened. In 1977, Rick, the son, asked his father if they could run a race together to, to help raise money for a lacrosse player who had become paralyzed. What Rick wanted to do was prove that life went on no matter what your disability was. And so they got set up, Dick... The dad was not a runner. He was 36 years old, decent shape, but had not run much. And so they hooked up Rick into a kind of push thing, and they ran a 5K. And they said, we came in second to last, but we finished. Make sure you didn't know they they didn't come in last. They came in second to last. But Rick said to his dad, Dad, when I'm running, it feels like my disability disappears. And his dad, Rick... So that was a very powerful message for me. And then something happened, okay? This love that he had for his son that drove him to action. They went on over the many years to run 257 triathlons. Six of those Ironman triathlons. They ran 72 marathons. 32 were Boston marathons because they live in Boston. Think about that. Every year, year after year, he would push his son. He would tow him behind a boat. He'd set him in a special bike, and he would bike the 100 miles of a triathlon, whatever it may be. Why did he do that? Whether he believes in God or not, why did he do that? What caused him to act? It was the love for his son. And this man lived extraordinarily because the love within him could not be held back, and it moved him to action. And that's just for his son. And see, love is the way of God's kingdom. It's the currency of God's kingdom. It's the greatest command. It sums up all of the law. 
is to love, to love God and to love others. And as we look at Paul's prayer this morning, I want to remind you of some of the truths, some of the propositions, some of the demonstrations of God's loves and the love in the first three chapters. And I want to ask you to let them wash over you as we look at this. This was Dick and Rick. So I want to read these to you. And I, my prayer for you is the same as Paul in Ephesians 1 through. I pray that your eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And I'm going to shotgun these at you, so don't try to write them down. Just soak them in. Just grab, let them wash over you for a second. And here they are, the love of Christ manifested. He blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He chose us to be whole and unblemished. He adopted us through his kindness. He lavished his grace upon us. He freed us by his forgiveness. He gifted us with an inheritance. He protects us with his promises. He rescues us out of destruction. He made us alive by his love. He raised us up in power. He purposed us towards significance. He is abolishing hatred and hostility. He unites us through sacrifice. He loves us with an uncompromising love. That is Ephesians 1 through 3. That is the love of Christ. Just what he was written down that Paul decided to record by the Holy Spirit's power and prompting. Just those few things, but those are powerful, powerful things. And so having laid that before you, how much God has demonstrated his love and all of the things that come with that, I want you to look at this passage with me in Ephesians chapter 3, 14. This is the prayer that Paul is going to make, knowing that he's laid out how God has demonstrated his love, and he's about to call us to live a life worthy of his calling. And this is his prayer. He starts out with this. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. I bow. I am on my knees. Now remember, Paul, in many of his letters, says, I pray for you. I pray for you. But here he says, I bow my knees. Because he recognized there's an authority He recognized a desperate dependency that this can't just, I can't make this happen. This isn't just words that I can give you. God has to move here. God has to work in you for this to be happening because what I'm praying for is big. It's not just that you would do what the scripture says. It would be that I'm going to pray for something so big that it it would just compel you and cause you to do what the scriptures call you to do. So he recognizes authority, he recognizes his dependence on the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derive its name. He appeals to the one who we all come under, the one who unifies us all. We know just previously he said that we are God's household as believers being fitted together as one. Breaking down hostility and the, the wall of enmity between people because of race, barrier, cult, culture, ethnicity, anything. But this is for all of us, from the Father who is over all of us. And then he says this, so that he would grant to you, 
according to the riches of his glory, that this is his loving kindness, that he would give this to you out of his, his free nature, out of his love for you. Not manipulating at all, but that this would be a gift to you. And that he has an abundance to give. And here's what he asks, that you would be strengthened, that you and I would be strengthened with power through his son, his spirit in the inner man. And what this word strengthen here means, it's this idea of enabling to grow stronger so you can hold something bigger. It's like working out. I put on so much weight on the bar and he's praying, I want you to grow stronger so you can put on more. It's the idea of stretch your mind, stretch your spirit, be able to handle more, to be able to pick up more, to hold more. Let me give you an example of a negative example is 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul's writing and he says, no temptation is overtaking you such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. And he says, look, you have a threshold, a threshold of resistance. And I'm not going to let you, God won't let you go over that threshold without giving you a way of escape. We know Jesus was able to be tempted yet without sin. So he could take the full brunt of temptation and not sin. If that came to us, we'd probably all fall. So he says, he won't let you go beyond what you can. Okay, that's a negative threshold. What God's, what he's praying for here is he's going to pray for a positive threshold. He's going to go, look, this is where you are, but I want to pray for more. I want to pray that you would be able to hold more of what I'm about to ask for. So he wants to give us a threshold to receive, to be strengthened, enabling us to grow stronger, to hold something bigger. And here's what he says. So that Christ may dwell in your heart. So that if if you are strengthened, then Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now here's the deal. We all know, maybe we don't all know, but if you are a genuine believer in Christ, if you have placed your faith in Christ, his death and resurrection on behalf of your sins, then you have got the Holy Spirit is indwelling you. The fullness of God is in you in the Holy Spirit. That's the truth about us. This is not talking about that. He is saying this. This idea of dwell here is the idea of to settle in, to be at home, to be familiar with. That it looks like he lives here. More and more. When I was a single guy, I remember, maybe I'm trying to forget, when you walk in my house, what it smelled like. The decorations were subpar. Okay, I get married. My house smells different. It looks different. There's a lady living here now. And it's evident. You walk into my house now and you go, this is not a single man's house. There's a woman who lives here. That's what he's praying for. Saying so that Christ may be at home there. That it may be evident that he is there. And then he says this, being rooted and grounded in love. These are two two participles in the Greek. One is the idea of a plant, rooted. We all know the roots are what bring nourishment and water and life to a plant. Um, The sun plays its role, but, but even in the winter, when the leaves are gone, the root is what sustains it. And so there's this idea of being healthy and strong, of gaining nourishment and life, that, that you would be nurtured by love. 
And then there's this idea of grounded, this construction site, firm base of a building that you would not move, that you would not, that you would not be um, moved at all, but that you would stay and that love would establish you, that you would be established in love. So being nurtured and established in love, this is what he's ultimately going to ask for. So he's going to say, I pray that God would grant you the power of his spirit, that Christ may take up more residence in you in a more practical, experiential way, and that you being rooted in ground in love for this purpose, that you may be strong enough, okay, with all the saints to comprehend what the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know what surpasses knowledge, the love of Christ. And this idea here of to have strength again is to be fully capable, to be strong enough. And this is his prayer for all of us. And he says to comprehend, to grasp, to catch up with. It's like something that goes so fast you can't grab a hold of it and you're like, I'm trying to catch this. I got to catch up with this. Or it's something so big you're just trying to get your arms around it. It makes me think of the ocean. If I dropped you off in a helicopter in the middle of the ocean, how big this thing is, that there's so much, you can't see the end of it. It's just, wow, the borders, the end, where is it? And it's so deep. You know, you got the Mariani Trench or whatever that's called, and you don't even know how deep that thing goes. It's just so enormous, immense. I think of space. You know, here we are, that's big, the ocean's big, but man, it's on a little bitty planet in a big solar system that's even a bigger universe, that's even a And we don't even, they say the universe is expanding. What's it expanding into? That's the love of Jesus. How big is that? That's what I want to know. And he's saying, this thing is huge. But gosh, my prayer, the reason I'm on my knees is that God might grant you to grasp, to comprehend the breadth, the length, the height, the depth. And and even that, but that it, it surpasses knowledge. It surpasses it. It's even more than you could grab. Even if you could grab a hold of that, it's even more. He wants us to understand and know the love of Christ, this unconditional, unchanging, overcoming, gracious, healing love of Jesus. And he wants us to know that. He wants us to be filled with that. That's what he says, that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. See, I want to say... It's not, that, it's not that love is not big enough for us, that Jesus' love is not big enough for us. It's that our view of Jesus' love is too small. And so he's saying if you could grab a hold of that and grasp that and comprehend that, then you would be filled up to the fullness of God. Now again, we know that if we have the spirit within us who is fully God, God's full presence is within us, but this is experiential. This is you are overflowing. You are moved out. And, and why does he want to say that? Ephesians 4.13, he's going to pray until we all attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of his son of God, the son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of God. That's what he's looking for for us. I really think this, when I bring it back down, I know this isn't a perfect comparison, but I think of someone in love. Like I was with Catherine eight years ago. What are the characteristics of someone in love that is full of love? Excited, 
intoxicated. They float. Feet don't touch the ground. Their cares and worries don't stick. Physics exam? Ah, it doesn't matter. Look at her. That's all I can think about. I can't study. Their priority is single focused. All I wanted to find was that grill box. I was in class. I had work. But I drove all over creation finding a grill box. Didn't matter if I embarrassed myself, knocking on a door, getting a watch to put a battery in it. I risk it. Because love changes our perspective. But that's intoxication. That's, that's infatuation. That's immature love. What if it was the mature love of Christ that filled us up? This unbelievable, beautiful love of Christ. How would our purpose be different day to day? How would our intentionality be different? We wouldn't take ourselves so seriously. Our cares and temptations would not gain the strongholds they do. Christ's love would fill us and compel us and overwhelm us and move us. That's what Paul is praying for. So what do we do with that? What do we do with this prayer? Here's, here's my suggestion for all of us. Is that we bow our knees. And we pray this prayer, prayer for ourselves, For our family. For our friends. There's no reason why this prayer shouldn't be answered in all of us. That each and every one of us would be overflowing with the love of Christ. Like Paul prays for. That we would be filled with the fullness of God. More often than not, I think it's, it's not God that's the problem. It's us that stand in the way. And these things are just things that are true about me. We, we settle for lesser things. That's me. We're distracted by idols in our lives. We're comfortable with our sin. Sometimes we just, whether it's long-term or in the moment, we just don't believe God's love is that real, that good, and that enormous. My hurt is too big. My pain is too deep. My failures are too ugly. And so we get in our own way. What I'd like to do, we're going to have communion today. And so we're going to sing a song first. And I'm going to ask for those who are going to ministry community if you'd head back we're going to sing a song called oh come to the altar and as we sing this song when you think about what do you need to lay down before jesus what do you need to bring to the altar so to speak and lay it down whether it's sin whether it's expectations whether it's a false thinking about who god is What's hindering you from that prayer being answered in you? So if you would, join us as we sing these words. And and I would just ask you, sing it or just listen to it. Whatever you need to do right now. pass out the elements, I would ask you, as they pass out the elements, if you would read these words, remind yourselves of the truths of God's demonstration of love toward us. 
And the, I would ask you to this. Would you just take a moment to pray that God would open your heart and your eyes to one or more of these truths, whatever God needs to do in you right now. Would you take a moment and be washed with those words again? Now I'd like you to take a minute of confession, of coming before the Lord and laying down any sins that you know of and asking God to reveal to you any sins that you don't and making those and bringing those into the light before the Lord that he might cleanse you from all unrighteousness. lastly, I'd like you to take a moment to ask God to reveal to you or to break through any false thinking of who he is or what he's done or of who you are in him. for us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed he took the bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and he said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me father your body was broken on that cross and from that cross you said father forgive them for what they do take the bread And in the same way, Jesus took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus, your blood was spilt, but you said, It is finished. Take the cup. Father, you are such a great father to us. You're a father who has demonstrated your love and your love is so much bigger than we recognize. It surpasses knowledge. It's height, it's width, it's breadth, it's it's height. We just pray that you would help us grab a hold of it. Help us to know it. Lord, we need you for that. And I pray that just as Paul asked on behalf of the believers in Ephesus for ourselves, Lord, that you would fill us with that love that we might know the fullness of God in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.
start with leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Let's stand and rejoice that this is true for us. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Go and live loved. Thank you.